Rome and Frankfurt. If you have your Bibles this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't have a lengthy message for you today, but I believe I do have a message from the Lord. I begin to, I told my wife I came home, I had to go, I went over to Kokomo on on, uh, Friday night and uh, and I came home, or on the way over to Kokomo, I started praying. I'm like, God, I felt something in my spirit, and I said, God, just begin to speak to me. That's all I'm asking you to do, just begin to speak to me. And uh, would you know it, the whole drive to Kokomo, Scotty, I got nothing. He didn't speak to me. And I'm like, okay, gotcha. And so I, uh, I uh, was in Kokomo for a while, and then I got in my car, and I told my wife, as soon as I shut the door and I turned on the key, out loud, I said, oh, my Lord, because at that moment, God began to speak to me, Brother Jerry, and he began to do some things in my life. He began to speak some things to me specifically that I believe that he wants me to share with you this morning, and so we will do that for the next few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse number 27. I do want to say, we don't say it enough, thank you to the praise team for ushering us into the presence of the Lord this morning. Did they not do a great job? Verse number 27. But God hath chosen, everybody, everybody say the foolish things, of the world to confound the wise. And God hath Chosen the weak things of the world to confound, rather, the things which are mighty. That's just like God to mess with the way that we see things and the way that we think that things ought to be done. But the Bible says that He chooses the foolish to speak to the wise, and He chooses the weak sometimes over the strong. Verse number 28 And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring naught things that are. Verse number 21, why does he do this? And he gives us a very clear answer that no flesh should glory in his presence. He said, I choose sometimes the foolish things of life. And I use those things. And I use, can can I just say it like this? He said, sometimes maybe I choose the foolish people of life. I think that's why he called me. Just to let me know that he can. He said, "I, I choose the foolish things of life because I want to get in your mind that you don't have to be perfect. That you don't have to be the most talented. That you don't have to have been serving the Lord for 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. But God is wanting to say that it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you've been through. There is nothing that can disqualify you from me using you as I see fit. My God, I'm about to preach this morning. I want to preach to your hearing on, for the next few moments on this subject, the God of the insignificant. The God of the insignificant. Put your Bibles down. Put your electronic device down, whatever you've got. Lift your hands to heaven right now and just ask God to pour out His Spirit in this place and to speak into our lives. God, by the authority of Your Word and by the power of the name of Jesus, God, I speak hearing and understanding into this house this morning. Open our ears to hear. God, and give us understanding of your word so we know what thou art saying to your church. And we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Before you're seated, I want you to turn and shake three hands and say, I'm glad that God chose me. I want to preface 
what I want to share with you today by simply saying that what the world considers to be wise is not wise. What the world views as foolish often holds the wisdom of the ages. Good does not, or God rather, does not reveal himself to the proud alone. How many are thankful for that? He doesn't, but he doesn't, he doesn't reveal himself to the prideful. He does not reveal himself to the self-sufficient. And he does not reveal himself to the self-righteous. Rather, the one who created the universe, the one that allowed you to be here this morning, the one that created you from the dust of the ground and he breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, the God of all creation comes to the humble and he comes to the seeking and he comes to the sincere. Often, the reason that man cannot seem to find God I look in his scripture where the writer said, I looked in front of me and I, you weren't there. And I, I looked behind you and I looked, or looked behind me and you weren't there. And I looked all around and I could not only not see you, but I couldn't even perceive you anywhere in the picture. That, that is what I'm wanting to talk to you about this morning, that often... The, the reason that we cannot find God, the only sometimes the reason that we cannot perceive Him in the middle of our situation is because that we are blinded by our foolish pride. My Lord, I want to speak to somebody in this house and say that pride, whatever it is that, that, that you allow you to be proud about that would keep you from doing what God wants you to do. There is no amount of pride. There is no amount of embarrassment that should ever cause you to lose out on what God wants to do in your life. Come on, there is no pride that's going to keep this guy from making it to heaven. There's nothing that I'm going to allow in my life that would exalt itself above the Lord that will cause me not to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. But I have a made up mind that if i got to die daily, if i got to embarrass myself daily, then I'm going to do that because there's nothing worth missing heaven for. The Bible says that the proud will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes the reason that we come into the house of God and we hit, our, hit the altar on our knees and we, we say, God, I haven't felt you in a long time. I've got to feel you tonight. I've got to hear from heaven. I need you to move in my situation. It's not just a problem on the inside. It's not a problem with God, but it's something that's on the inside of us. We've allowed pride. We've allowed pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency to clutter our lives. And when we are self-sufficient, then God looks at us and says that you don't really need me, so I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to find somebody that needs me. Listen to me tonight or this morning. We need to get our self-righteousness out of the way. We need to get our self-sufficiency out of the way. We need to ask God, God, take that from my life because I realize that I am nothing without you. I realize that I can't draw my next breath unless you ordain it. Foolish pride. Self-sufficiency. We try, and I've talked about it often, we try to exhibit that we've got it all together and that we really don't need anything. Come on, guys. We put on our tie on a Sunday morning. We slip our jacket on. We button it. Unless you're like me and you realize it's a little too tight, so you unbutton it. Well, I said it. Whatever. Come and we want everybody to think that we've got it all together. We want everybody to think that I don't struggle with pride or I don't struggle with 
arrogance or I, I certainly don't struggle with self-sufficiency and we come into church and we put the tie on, we put the coat on, we comb our hair just right and what we're doing is we're putting on a mask and we're putting on a costume and we're trying to hide who we really are on the inside because some of us, it's been a long time since we've heard from God. It's been a long time since we've touched the throne of heaven. Some of us, it's been a long time since we've spoken in another tongue as the Spirit gave under it. But I'm here to tell you this morning that sometimes you just need to stir that gift up and sometimes you just got to come into the house of God and say, God, I've been something that I'm not. I've, I've tried to tell everybody that I've got it all together when I'm dying on the inside. And God, I just need you today. I don't care what someone else thinks. I don't care what they look at me like or what they say about me. But I have got to get a hold of you today. Why do we do this? Because we feel so insignificant. We feel so inadequate. And I want to burst somebody's bubble this morning. We are. We are inadequate. We very much are insignificant. But I want to encourage somebody this morning that you feel insignificant. You feel inadequate. You feel like you've done too many things in life. You've messed up too many times. And you, you think that maybe God, since you haven't felt Him in a long time, maybe you felt that He's walked away from you and He's decided to leave you alone. I want to speak to you this morning and tell you that God has not left you where you are. God doesn't care about your inadequacies. God doesn't care about, about what you perceive yourself to be because all God cares about is that you have a need. And all that God cares about is what He can do in your life and all that God cares about is what He can give you. He's saying, I don't care if you don't have it all together. I don't care if this is your first time in church. I don't care if you've been serving the Lord for 50 years. I don't care if you have addictions. I don't care if you have bondage. He's saying, I specialize in those type of things. I specialize in inadequacy. I specialize in breaking chains of bondage. I specialize in making the inadequate adequate for my use. God, why would you use me? Why would you ever want to use someone like me? Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody want to get real with me in this house this morning? You felt like, why? Why in the world would God want to use me when brother so-and-so is more talented or why would God want to use me when sister so-and-so has way more talent than I have? God's not concerned about your talent level. God's not concerned about your lack of talent. God's not concerned with how you perceive yourself. But what He wants you to realize is what you see is not what I see. You see inadequate, but I see something of value. You see something that's marred and broken, but I see some vessel that I can use for my glory. I had a gentleman... Wednesday night after I preached, he's not here this morning. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna call his name. I wouldn't want to embarrass him, anyways. <laughs> he he come up to me. He said, "It's one thing that you preached to me tonight." I said, "Okay." He said, "But it's another thing that you called me out." And I said, "And I thought he was upset. I thought he was angry." He said, "No." He said, I had an internal struggle going on during your message. And I thought, my, I, I thought, I, God, should I do that? Or should, should I say that? Should I, I feel that way? And he said, I finally got to a point when I said, God, if that's what you want me to do, let him say it. He said, it wasn't 30 seconds later. And you said it. And he said, I said, God, okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I'll do it. 
And God said, he said, God spoke to me and said, no, no, it's too late. It's too late. But I want you to, I want you to move as soon as I speak. I want you, I want you to do what I tell you to do as soon as you feel the unction to do it. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines thinking that God wouldn't use you because you're inadequate and you felt the unction of the Holy Ghost prod you and push you to do what he was calling you to do. And you have sat there because you felt like you could couldn't do it. I come against that this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And I say that if God has given you a word, if God has prodded you, then God will give you the ability to do what he has asked you to do. When Jesus came to the world, he was born to a family who others would have deemed insignificant. No royalty in their bloodline. No palace for the baby Jesus to lay his head down at. But yet they laid him in a feeding trough. In a barn amongst the filth of animals. You see, we think that because we don't have the right last name, I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. We feel like that we don't have the right last name, or we, we think that we don't come from the right bloodline, or we, we think that, that we, we are so inadequate because, because I, 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 can't, I can't stand in a Sunday school class, and I, I, I can't hardly get a sentence out, let alone teach a lesson. And how do you think the rest of us feel? Because we've all felt that way at times in our life, but we think that God would not want to use me, that God doesn't want to have anything to do with me because of my past, because of my mistakes, because of my mess-ups. But I want to tell you that God looks at the heart and he, exam he examines the thought and the intentions of a man and woman. He doesn't care about what you've done. He doesn't care about what you've been. He doesn't care about necessarily where you may go from here. But God is looking for the intent and God's looking at your heart and God's saying, yeah, that's one that I can use. Yes, that's one that I want to, 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 to use for my glory. I want to use them. That gives us hope. That gives us hope this morning. Because none of us are talented enough. None of us are worthy. There isn't a person in this building this morning that's worthy to be here. Come on, somebody. There's not a person that woke up this morning and you got dressed and you combed your hair and you ladies, you put on a nice dress and guys, you got that nice suit on. That does not make you worthy. That doesn't make you any more worthy than the person that's living on a street corner in a box and has nothing to their name. But God, what we see as unworthy, God sees as worthy. And what we deem as worthy and necessary to be used of God, God's saying, I'm not concerned. Not concerned about that. Because He is the God also of the, of the insignificant. Spencer preached in Lebanon last week and he did such a far, phenomenal job. He talked about Jacob. He talked about Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And then he talked about Abraham when he stood before the burning bush and God was prodding him to go. He wouldn't go. And he argued with God and he said, God, I can't speak well. God, I, I, have a, I have a speech impediment. And he said, suppose that I go to them and I, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh who sent me? He said, you tell him I am sent you. He said, tell you, tell him that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob sent you. And he began to bring out, he said, he mentioned Jacob. But when Jacob had the wrestling match, Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob deceived all his life. He lied all his life. 
But when he, got, he had the wrestling match with the angel, and the angel touched the hollow of, of Jacob's thigh, not only did he change the, the way that he would walk for the rest of his life, but he changed his name. He changed his identity. And what God was saying to Abraham, he said, you tell them that I'm also, I'm also the God of Jacob. It's not, it's not, I'm not just the God of Israel. He said, I'm not the God of the perfect. I'm not the God who, of the person that has it all together, but I'm also the God of Jacob. I'm also the God of the one that you don't, the, the, the thing that you don't want anybody in your life to know about. I'm the, I'm the God of your mess ups. I'm the God of your defeat and what God wants to tell somebody here in this place this morning. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you've made mistakes. Yes, you feel inadequate and really is in according to God's scope you are, but God is saying, I don't care about that because I'm the God of that too. I'm your God. I'm not only the God of the one who's perfect, but I'm the God of the one that's insignificant. I wish my voice was strong enough to preach how I feel today. I wish I could drive the point home today. It doesn't matter how insignificant that you feel because God is also the God of the insignificant. You see, when choosing a person to make himself known, God will often choose the weak. He will, not always, but he will often choose those that are weak. He will also choose, often choose the one that's untrained. He will choose the one that's unnoticed. He will choose the one that is insignificant. No one would ever think that that person could accomplish anything of insignificant by their own wisdom and power. We often look at those when God or whom God has chosen to use and we ask, why them? Why would He choose them? Why would He use them? Don't he, doesn't He know where they were last week? Doesn't, why would He choose them? Don't they, doesn't He know that they're not really everything that they proclaim to be? Why would He choose them? They're not the most talented. Why would they choose Him? He's not the best preacher. Why would they choose her? She's not the, the best singer. Why would He choose them? But God is saying, that's not why would I, but why wouldn't I? Why would I not choose you? Why would I not use you? And God is saying to you this morning, why not you? Why You've given me every excuse. You've told me everything about why you can't can't do what I'm asking you to do, but God's saying, I want to take what you've got. I want to take your, your lack of talent. I want to take your insignificance, and I want to turn that all around, and I want to use you to accomplish my will in this world. Why not? Why not? Turn to your neighbor and say, why not you? Why? Why not you? Turn to somebody else and say, why? Why not me? Why? If God, all throughout the Bible, God used the insignificant to perform some of the greatest miracles. He used those that were not worthy. He used those that came from the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. He chose those that, that did not have any background in religion, or theology. He, he chose those that, that made a mess of their life. Yet, he took those and he began to work in their lives. And he turned around, he turned some of their greatest defeats into their greatest victories. He turned some of their greatest sorrow into some of their greatest joy. And what God wants to do in this place this morning, He wants to take those mistakes. He wants to take those mess-ups. He wants to, to completely rearrange the way that you see yourself and you perceive yourself. And He wants to take the self-reliance off of you and cause you to be reliant on Him. You see, we battle with the idea of perfect and we get stuck on perfect while the whole time God is just looking for faithful. Last name doesn't matter. 
background doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It's not about you and it's not about me. But it's very much about who He is. It's not about what I can't do. But it's about what He can do. It's not about what I can't use for Him. But it's about what He can give me that I can use for Him. Because He's the God of the insignificant. He's the God of the lowly. He's the God of the one who thinks the life is a total disaster. I look in the Bible. I look at the prophet Isaiah. He was regarded as one of the greatest prophets to ever live. He was of royal descent. He had royalty in his bloodline. He received visions from God. God spoke to him. God used him mightily. And it appeared that he had everything together. But on the flip side, you look at the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, also one of the greatest prophets to ever walk the face of the earth. But when Isaiah came from the bloodline of royalty, Jeremiah was just a son of a priest of a small village. They call, yet he called him into prophetic ministry. And when Isaiah's life seemed to be all perfect and everything was so well put together, Jeremiah was thrown into prison and then eventually thrown into pit and they tried to take his life for the prophecies that he was bringing forth. One, you would have expected to be great in the kingdom of God. But the other one, if you look at his life, you think, why would God use him? I understand that Isaiah was royalty. He had the best education. He, had, he was the best dressed. He probably spoke better than most. But you chose Jeremiah, who was just from small town nowhere. His dad wasn't a king. His dad wasn't a priest. Or his dad wasn't a, a prince. But he was just a priest. He was just a preacher in a little church in small town nowhere. Listen, so many times we get caught up in thinking, well, my, I don't have the right name. Or my, my dad's not a preacher. My, my grandfather's not a... I was lucky enough to be brought up in a, in a ministry family. But there's others that say, that can't say that. They say, I, I, I don't have all that in my background. I haven't been to Bible college. And I, oh my God, don't get me started on that. I haven't, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And I haven't always been everything that I should have been. But God's saying, I don't care about any of that. I don't care if you had the best education. I don't care what bloodline that you come from. I don't care what your family has done. But I want to use you. I want to take your insignificance. I want to take, I want to take every, every qualm that you have in your life and I want to use you. He said, Jeremiah, you look, may look at Isaiah. And you may say, I don't have it all together. But he said, Jeremiah, I'm going to use you in prophetic ministry. Your words are going to be recorded in the Bible. You're going, to, you're going to tell people, thus saith the Lord. You're going to stand before them. Yes, they're going to ridicule you. Yes, they're going to throw you in prison. Yes, they're going to try to kill you. But I, you don't let any of that bother you. You don't worry about any of that. You don't worry about any of your inadequacies. But I'm going to step in, and I'm going to give you everything that you need. Come on, somebody. God's telling you this morning, I'm about to give you everything that you need. You've been fighting him way too long. You've been, you've been letting doubt cloud your mind. You've been thinking about your past way too long. And God's saying, enough is enough, but I'm about to show up in your situation. I'm about to show up, and I'm about to equip you for the task that I have called you to do. 
compare ourselves against others. God's saying, I don't care about any of that. Abraham argued with God at the burning bush. Tried to come up with every excuse as to why he shouldn't. And why God couldn't use him. But God's not, a, God's not concerned with our excuses. Excuses are about, what do they say? They're, they're only good for those who make them. God's not concerned. Listen, when we stand before the Lord, there's no excuse that you can come up with. Come on, there's nothing that you can say that's going to change God's mind. And when he looks at you, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. But God, you don't know. You don't know what I thought about myself. I asked you to do that. Yeah, but I didn't think that I could. I was so inadequate. Why would you choose me? I think you got it wrong. He's going to say, no, 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 no. I called you. I asked you. And you wouldn't go. So depart from me because I never knew Jacob in Genesis chapter 25, I've already stated, he was a deceiver. His mother was Rebekah. And she convinced him to deceive his father, Isaac, into giving him a blessing that did not belong to him, but it belonged to Esau. He lived a life of deception. But in Genesis 36, Eleven chapters later, we find that Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord. And he wrestled with that angel, and the angel said, Jacob, i got to go. you got to let me go for the day breaketh. And he held on with everything that he had. He said, I won't let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you change some things in me. I'm not going to let you go until you remake me on the inside. And the angel touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and caused it to come out of joint. Incredible pain, I'm sure. Yet Jacob held on with everything that he had. Why is that? Because there was a desperation in Jacob's heart. He said, I know that I've deceived. I know that I've lied. I know that I've lived a rotten life, but I'm tired of all that deception. I didn't think that you could use me, but God, I'm seeing now that, Lord, that you want to use me. You want to change my life. You wouldn't have sent the angel to my house if you didn't want to work in my life. And he said, that's all right. I know day breaketh, and I know that you gotta go, but guess what? I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. I'm not gonna let you go until you you call me to walk differently. I'm not going to let you go until you change my identity. You see, Jacob was all about independence from God. But when he changed his name to Israel, it changed him to being dependent on God because he knew He knew that something had happened in his life that he could not have done on his own. But God changed his makeup. God changed his way of thinking. And what I, my prayer this morning is that God somehow changes our way of thinking. We feel inadequate. We feel insignificant. We feel that God can't use us. But I, I come against that right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray, I command that uh, that spirit, that that thought process would be broken and cast down right now in the name of Jesus. And I loose, I loose God's power and God's authority. And I, I loose God's power and authority in your mind to cause you to see yourself as God sees you. Not the mess up, not the mistake, but the one that's worthy to be used in the kingdom of God. Somebody clap your hands and give him glory this morning. Got to change our way of thinking. We got to quit seeing ourselves as insignificant. Or let me, let me say this, that's okay if we see ourselves as insignificant. That's okay, because that's where God needs us to be. But we also have to realize that He's also the God of the insignificant. He's not just the God of the perfect. 
He's not just the God of all the, of those that have it all together, but he's the God of the one who's the mess up. He's the one, he's the God of the mistake. He is the God of the bad decision. Hear me today. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's still your God. It doesn't matter if you've messed up all your entire life. It doesn't matter if you're bound with chains of addiction. He's still God to you. It doesn't matter if, if you are, are entangled with the mess of sin. He is still the God of your life. Know somebody this week that messed up. I know somebody this week whose world came crashing down on them. All it was was thoughts and words of inadequacy. Here, here, I, I we got it. We got it messed up. I'm quickly hurrying. I'm drawing to a close. We've got it all messed up. We think. We think that Satan is God's evil counterpart, but he's not. I want to explain that. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He's all knowing, all seeing. He can be here. He can be there. He can be anywhere in the world all at the same time. And we think that Satan is his evil counterpart, but he's not. You want to know why? Because Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not omniscient. He's not om omnipotent. He is none of those things. He, God sees everything. God knows everything. God knows what you did in your past. Yes, and so does the devil. But God knows your future. The devil doesn't know your future. So he spends all of his time trying to replay a video clip of the past pointed towards your future to cause you to think, well, I'm just going to go back there and cause you to think that he is speaking in into your future, but he has no idea the plans that God has for you. He doesn't even know the thought and the intent of your heart. God knows our thoughts, Sister Mary, but the devil only knows what we tell him. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm speaking to somebody this morning. We only know what we verbalize to him. He only knows what we struggle with because we tell him. We give him way too much credit. We give him way too much glory for something that he didn't do. He didn't cause that to come into your life to cause you to stumble because he doesn't know what you struggle with in your life. All he knows is that you fell and that you got up. But God knows what you struggle with. God knows and God sees. So too long that we've allowed the devil to speak into our lives We've allowed him to speak into our future when he has no right. He has no place of authority in our life. If you are a child of God, then you need to go ahead and put him under your feet this morning. You need to go ahead and bruise the head of the devil with your heel and say, no, 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 Satan. I fell, I've fallen for it way too long. You've made me feel inadequate way too long. You made me feel that God couldn't use me because I messed up for way too long. I'm putting that aside. And I'm going to say, God, I know that I'm inadequate. But if you'll just cover me with your blood, if you will just work on me, then you can use me for your glory. Quickly drawn to, the, to a close. John 6. We read of a lad with a little lunch, of five barley loaves and two fish. We know the story. The multitude followed Jesus, and it become late in the day. And Jesus looked at his disciples, we got to feed these people. we got to give them food to eat. He said, where at this time of day can we buy food? Uh, for because 100 penny worth of food would not feed this multitude. The Bible estimates it 5,000 besides women and children. I'm, I, somewhere around eight to 10,000 is more like probably what the multitude was. The disciples said, hey, Jesus, 
I don't know if it helps, but there's a little boy over here who has a sack lunch. He said, what's in the lunch? He said, five barley loaves and two fish. Then he said, but what is that among so many? We know the story that Jesus, the boy, brought what he had. That's another message right there. Giving God everything that we've got. But he gave Jesus the food. And the Bible says that he blessed it and he broke it. Because to be dispersed, to be distributed, it not only had to be blessed, but it had to be broken. I'm about to preach to somebody here this morning. To meet the need of the crowd, Jesus had to bless and to break. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. To use you, God not only has to bless you, but there's going to be, have to be a time where God's going to have to break some things in you. There's some things that you've allowed to accumulate in your life. There's some walls that you've built that God's going to have to break down. You see, sometimes we think that the blessing, we take that as the favor of God, but we take the broken and we think that we are being punished. But that's not the case. It's not punishment, but breaking brings purpose. When you find yourself in a place of brokenness, you just better hang on, sir. You just better hang on, man, because God is about to use you. I want to speak to someone in this house. You feel broken and you thought that God was judging you. You feel broken and you felt that God was turning his back on you, but he was breaking you. He was sending you through a process because God wants to use you. It's not the judgment of the Lord. But God's saying, if I'm going to use you, I'm going to have to break you. He says, I know it's painful. But I've got to do it. I've got to, I've got to break you. Jesus himself had to be persecuted to be used. He knew though that it wasn't about him but he knew it was about those whom he came to seek and to save he's breaking you because he's getting ready to send you the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 he was qualified by most standards he asked Jesus this. He said, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him and he said, keep the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And look what he said. rich young ruler looked at him he said all those things I've done from my youth I've done that I come from a good family but look at verse number 21 in Matthew chapter 19 would you put that on the screen for the mic Matthew 19 verse 21 Jesus said unto him if thou wilt be perfect Everybody say perfect. Go and sell that thou hast. Sell everything. Give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. He said, sell everything you got. I know you're a man of great possessions. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. The Bible says that he walked away, Scotty, sorrowful because he had great possessions. He said, if that will be perfect, and most of us would have said he was. But what we need to realize is that even those that we consider perfect is that our righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. We are unclean. We are unworthy. 
But when he speaks of perfection, speaks of perfect in Matthew, he's not talking about just being perfect. He's not talking about having it all together and never, never doing any, anything wrong. But what Jesus is referring to is completeness. Not perfection as we know being perfect, but he's speaking of completeness. You see, it's about being complete and not about being faultless or blameless because none of us, none of us are faultless or blameless. You see, Jesus in the flesh alone did coming to the earth didn't change a thing. You understand what I'm saying? Just the fact that God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us didn't change anything. Yes, he had a ministry. Yes, he performed miracles. Yes, he compelled those. But that alone didn't change anything about the state of a sinful world. But he had to be perfected. He had to be completed. And that would only happen on the cross of Calvary. He said in Luke, he said, tear down this temple. And in three days, I'll bring it up again. They said, well, how are you going to build a temple in three days? He's not, it's not what he was saying. He said, in three days, you just wait and see. I'll be perfected. My purpose here on earth will be completed. Jesus was already blameless and he was already faultless. But his perfection came through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This morning, God wants to complete some of us. He wants to call us to a place not of being perfect, not, not perfection as we see perfect. But he said, I want to complete some things in you. I want to, I want to complete the task. I, I want to complete in you that, so you can complete the task that is set before you. And that's only going to come through dying out to sin. And that is repentance. And it's only going to come through the burial And that is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's going to come from the resurrection. And that is the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. There is no other way to be perfected and receive eternal life unless we go by way of the cross, of the grave, and of the resurrection. Stand with me. It's not about being blameless, but it's about surrendering everything that I have. You have to surrender yourself, everything that is within you. You have to give up control of your own life to God. It's not about being blameless, but it's about have I emptied everything for myself? Have I given God everything? Have I given Him those deepest parts of my heart that I don't want anybody to know about? Have I given them that addiction that I'm embarrassed that someday somebody might find out? Have I given him everything in my life? We qualify people by what we see and know. May look good on the outside, but they're not completely sold out in their heart. If you, this morning, want to be perfected, it's not about the rules and the regulations. It's not about, it's not about what we can and what we can't do. But God is just saying, just get rid of everything. Just sell everything. Just, just get, get it all out of your life. 
You got to die out to the flesh. You got to give up what is important to us. We've got to give it all to the Lord. Would you just close your eyes where you're at? Would you lift your hands? God's speaking to you, sir. God's speaking to you, ma'am. God's speaking to your brother. God's speaking to your sister. He's saying, just give it to me. I, I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care how embarrassed you are about it. Don't worry about someone finding out. Don't, wor- don't let that embarrassment, don't let insignificance keep you from everything that I want to do in your life. But just give it to me because, yes, you are insignificant, but I'm also the God of the insignificant. I'm the God of the righteous, but I'm God of the lost. I am God of the saved, but I am God of the lost. I open the altars today. If I preach to you, I know I preach to somebody in this place. If it's you that I spoke to, if it's you that just you've just hung up and you haven't given everything to God, or you want to make some changes in your life, why don't you come? Why don't you spend some time in prayer? There are those that are here that will pray with you. They'll they'll pray with you as long as it takes. Why don't you just go ahead and die out to it? Why don't you go ahead and crucify the flesh? Why don't you go ahead and just give everything to God? I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life so I could be free. So I could be that's it let's come to this morning come on we all need God we all need God to change some things in our lives we all have things that we need to give to God let's just do it today let's today mark the the beginning of a new life let today mark the beginning of a new person a new creature in Christ Smile.